Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Frank and Susie hanging out with you right here from the East Valley Institute of Technology, where every week we take you on an automotive journey. We are grateful, honored to have you guys for, well, what is over 170 shows hang with our mechanical tribe, Wrench Nation, right here, 88.7 The Pulse. Automotive Journey, where we take you and introduce you to some of the eclectic, amazing folks from across the globe. Many of you reached out. You've gotten on to WrenchNation.tv. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we tell you that uh, this is our tribe, man. I mean, you know, we are we are on this little journey. It's not perfect. Wayne Carini was on the show not too long ago talking about chasing some classic cars. I think in life we need to chase a few things, but keep humble. And Wayne Carini was humble. Steve Celine bringing race-proven performance to the street. Many of you know Steve Celine. Just giving you a sampling of some of the shows you can find at WrenchNation.tv. If you guys uh, dip in and out, uh, I always enjoy hanging with you. Uh, you spend the time with us, our folks on KFNX and, of course, uh, 90.7 The Neon and as uh, every week we always like to do, we like to give you some fanfare, some introduction to our co-host, our lovely Susie Sockets. Welcome to the show. Girl. Hi, Frank. How you doing? It's our little piece of therapy. I think it folks is. have joined us. At first, they thought we were all bananas, and we're still bananas. And welcome to our bananas. That's what we're saying. Did you have a banana today? No, I didn't. Okay, then. But I, I don't know. We'll I feel just be bananas. We need a little potassium there in There you our go. Life. We're shaking in the world, Susie. Well, you know what? This is a great story I want to share with everyone. So one of our good customers actually came in and uh, actually called me and said, hey, um, my battery is good and I need an alternator. You know what? Bring it down. Let's check it. So guess what? Her alternator checked out just fine. We're getting a lot of these stories. The battery actually was testing at seven volts. So I knew she was going to ask the question, what next? So I already had it already planned out. We sent somebody to go take her battery down to the... Down to the store where she purchased it from. Got you helped. You up. actually took. Oh heck yeah! She was stranded. She was stranded. Man, I wish we could. You know, I I always feel guilty sometimes running the garage because we get those type of calls where we want to. Well, do you guys do mobile service? You know, right. like we'll we'll do what we can to save a day on a battery. Right. Because that's huge. You guys listening know you're on the way to work. You're on the way to school. Wherever you're going, it's not an opportune time for your battery all of a sudden to create drama. Well, here's the thing. She had the battery tested that day. And they said it was good. And yeah. You, oh, yeah. That's the part. Well, that's where the second opinion comes in. And, and some of you, I mean, you, you get your second opinion and then you say, okay. And usually it centers around price. It does. I mean, let's just face it. I mean, if I was told $800 for something. Yep. And now I get a second opinion that says $1,000. Boy, we keep getting that opinion until it sounds right. Yeah, but let me tell you, there's a missing piece to this story. So when she tested the battery, they actually gave her a name of a shop to go to. You need an alternator. Go to the shop. They'll help you out. Wait a minute. Yeah, so it kind of got a little Are you talking like something like federal government collusion? Is it collusion? Collusion? It is collusion. I better be careful. I don't want to get hate mail, but that sounds like some collusion. Yeah, isn't that sad? How many of you listening right now feel like you're being directed 
someone refers you, in this case, a parse house. Yes. Where they refer you somewhere and you you think, oh man, they're in on it. Am I really getting what I'm supposed <laughs> to be getting? I mean, I have to tell you, I've seen that in my time. It's, 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 uh, it's a terrible way to go. Yeah, then it raises a red flag. How do you overcome that? Well, I'll tell you how you overcome it. You have a relationship with a Well, shop. let's just say you just don't know. Okay. You just, you've been driving for a few years. We always preach relationship, but I don't think people connect to that, honestly. Okay. I mean, as, as one gets uh, more seasoned in their driving and they've had some experience about uh, a few different garages or dealership experiences, they get a couple of notches on their bedpost and they, they get the relationship. But in the beginning, you're like, okay, well, what do I do? Right. Where do I go? Right. Well, I'll tell you what. Better Business Bureau. A lot of you think, well, what did the Better Business Bureau? <laughs> well, Better Business Bureau is still a, a nice home plate for safety. Yeah, but when you're in that situation, you're not going to stop to look at Better Business Bureau. I you're hear gonna you. You're going to start calling, right? You start calling, but, and, you know, I mean, you look at reviews. We all, yeah, everybody's looking at reviews. Now, listen, we're not restaurants, people. Hear me out for a minute. My, like, we don't have 10,000 reviews. Like, we don't get 10,000 people a month or whatever the restaurants do. Right. But you want fair and balanced and you can look for that. And uh, more importantly, here is the deal. A lot of you would probably don't use it enough, but it's there. Right. Especially you ladies, because I think men, we do a horrible job at it. Yeah. And that is instinct. And she did ask me, do you think they were taking advantage of me? Well, think about instinct. Instinct. Yeah. Now, deep down in her gut. Her instinct was to call me. Call you. Now, yes. here's another lady. Now, would she have asked me that question the same way? Let's just face it. I think so. You think as yeah. a man, you think so. Well, yeah. I'd give her the straight and skinny as well. Right. You would like to believe that we're all operating our service businesses. I don't care if you're dry cleaning, basket weaving, or fixing a carburetor. <laughs> You'd like to believe That's that right. there's fair practice... It's a society we live in. That's right. Uh, I want to bring some news to you. Uh, there's a couple things. Uh, we have quite a few listening uh, out of Europe on the podcast. Uh, big recalls from Ford. Uh, you guys should be checking uh, your email, things like that. Don't let those recalls go. This was over 300,000 cars uh, out in Europe. So my European das Wiesen Wosen, check das Wiesen recalls. It's important, just like we say here in the United States of the good old America. What's the recall, Frank? Well, it's Ford. I don't have it in front of oh, me. Okay. I'm bad. Just check your recalls, people. So can we talk about Porsche? Well, wait a minute, because I want to bring up my friend Elon Musk. Oh, yes. You know, every week we talk about Tesla. Like if uh, I don't want to say Wrench Nation's got an investment in Tesla, but I think Elon Musk is quietly listening to the show and he's not tweeting about Hi. it. Hi, Elon. Hi, Elon. Elon. <laughs> if you're listening. All right. Now, one day ago, story came out, car and driver. I got to share this with you. You know, we're on the Tesla bandwagon. We think Tesla is a great part of the future. Yes, it is. And yes, we'll get to the show topic, but hang on a minute. Tesla could actually be developing a million mile battery. What? It's all about the battery right it now. It is. I mean, I think technology right now is moving quicker than where we're at in the science and chemistry of the battery. But you said one million. One million. This is serious business. Now, many of you are saying, well, I, I, I will never go a million miles. Well, if you are in the transport truck business, FedEx, if you are a FedEx individual, you'd love a million mile battery. Yeah, that's great. That's what Elon Musk, Elon Musk has Good a lot Elon. of claims. He claimed in April of 2019 that Tesla cars 
would last one million miles. Now, if you drive a Tesla right now, do you believe that? So far, driving your Tesla, the Model 3 or the S, you Tesla people are, you got your own gang. That's right. The Tesla gang, the Tesla mafia. Don't mess with the Tesla people. Many of Elon Musk's claims can be immediately dismissed, is what they say. Uh, he has promised to take Tesla private at $420 a share. Um, you know, that was uh, that was not the case. But I like the idea of a million-mile battery. That is a good, that's a good and idea. And it just sounds so good on the radio. That is million. a great idea. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Let me introduce the show topic to you, Mechanical Maniacs, before you disappear. I know some of you got to pick up kids. Some of you are on your way to work. Some of you pulled over because the wrench nation is in the house, and I love you for that. Uh, we are honored. Uh, we do seek the automotive industry across the globe. We talked about million-mile battery. How about I pose this to you listening right now? You own your vehicle. You're used to it. You make your payments, registration. Maybe you don't have a payment. Maybe you're a big shot, and you see the mechanic once in a while. How much of that vehicle do you actually drive? Yeah, that's a good question. Percentage-wise, that vehicle sleeps more than it's driven. So welcome autonomous vehicle. We've had several shows on autonomous. It seems like everything is automatic. Blender. Before I wake up, I can set and program my blender to make that shake. I have never seen an automatic blender yet. Well, I think it's out there. Okay. <laughs> it sounds good. Maybe we should do something with that. I think, I think it's out there. That's a good invention. I think so. But many of you would say, well, maybe you're right, Frank. This uh, ownership of a vehicle is overrated. It's expensive. I don't drive it, but maybe 8% of the time. And it costs me money, and I got to see that mechanic. <laughs> once in a while or twice in a while we love you come on down over a cup of coffee it's all good but what if i pose to you you're outside the front of your house and you whistle and you whistle for your car and your car pulls up and off you go now you can have a different car every day if i told you that would you believe that really just by whistling no, oh. I was just being fancy. <laughs> but think about it. We live in an app economy. You subscribe to your vehicle. How about that? Okay, I can believe that. You subscribe to cable. You're right. Why wouldn't you subscribe to a vehicle? Why wouldn't you have an autonomous vehicle pick you up? I will tell you that our next guest, New York City traffic commissioner uh, from back in the 80s, and I'm excited to talk to him because... I grew up in New York City in the 80s, yeah, and traffic did. was a big deal. Uh, traffic wasn't moving. Sam Schwartz, known to many as Gridlock Sam, he'll tell us why. That's, That's going to be interesting. Uh, he's a traffic and transportation expert, uh, former New York City traffic commissioner, and he has a book out, No One at the Wheel, Driverless Cars on the Road to the Future. Would you believe by mid-century, could it be illegal for you to drive? Think about that. Illegal to drive. Like van driving? Illegal to drive. No you way. cannot drive behind. You will be picked up in an autonomous vehicle of your liking. Oh, that's futuristic. Mr. Sam Schwartz will be joining us, uh, but before he does, Susie, I give you the floor. I don't have a mallet calling issue to court here. Give us your story. 
Oh, okay. So the Porsche. Oh, the Tyke. The Take-On. Take-On Porsche. Take, so, are you taking? Are you taking on? Take-On. Let's take, take on. I love the Take-On. So that's version. Tesla's competitor, right? Because yeah. it's an electric car. It sure is. So this is really interesting. Why do we like Porsches? Their speed, right? They're, they're beautiful cars. Right. They're engineered like no other. Well, the Take-On is actually an electric Porsche. Of course. Right? Yeah. yeah. So although it's very quiet... You're going to miss that room room sound, right? With there's the Porsche? A, wait a minute. Tell me there's an app for that. <laughs> My gosh, Frank, there is. Oh, daddy. For $500, you can download an MP3 and give you the room room sound. Is there a speaker where that exhaust outlet is at? No, I don't know, Frank. But you can hear the room room inside and out of the car. I'll tell you what, no matter what happens in the future, I want room room. If we are going to be behind the, well, behind the back seat and something, our robotic car is going to drive for us. Yeah, so simulated motor sound. I like that. We're going to ask Mr. Sam Schwartz. Uh, he's a former New York City traffic commissioner. He's no joke. He's been around and he's got a very provocative book. And we are going to invite him to our show. We're going to dive in to what could be, what, 2050? Will you not even care about owning a vehicle. You guys stay tuned. Wrench Nation next. Bolt-on Technologies, automotive software solutions. Auto repair shops that have Bolt-on Technologies software provide customer vehicle condition reports, including photos and text, real-time digital reports, multi-point inspections, estimates, and repair information at your fingertips. Info at boltontechnology.com. Right on. I welcome you back. Susie and I every week are hanging out with you guys. Big shout out to many of you got on the text line. Uh, Tony from New York, man. You're a rock star. He's been hanging with the show for quite some time. And Tony from New York can admire a show like this because we do have New York City Department of Transportation, the former traffic uh, commissioner, uh, Gridlock Sam. I, I, say we bring, I say we bring him in because he's scaring us with this autonomous vehicle. Uh, Mr. Sam Schwartz, are you with us, sir? I, I sure am, Frank. And you put the fear into us. You got a wonderful book out, and I, you know, I will tell you, I didn't read it back to back, but I did thumb through it, and I had to put it down because I got nervous. <laughs> Sorry, I did that to you. <laughs> Actually, it's a wonderful book, uh, and in fact, many in the industry, uh, especially if you're working on these vehicles, understand that uh, vehicle-to-vehicle communication. Of course, M City out in. Uh, uh, Detroit, uh, uh, Michigan, I should say, with, uh, I believe it's the University of Michigan. They're doing uh, a lot of work behind the autonomous platforms. Uh, Sam, tell us, why was it an opportune time, after many years uh, in the business, to write this book? What compelled you to put this book out, Sam? Yeah, I've been involved, as you said, for a very, very long time, and and I hope when you were, Frank, when you were in New York in the 80s, I didn't tow one of your cars. You probably did. <laughs> I've got totally. tickets. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. But uh, something's happened in since 2010. There's been such a rapid change in transportation. And up until then, we saw modest changes. Some highways got built. Some transit systems got built, but nothing as dramatic as we've seen. We kicked off the decade with Uber. 
and Lyft and Via Juno get and all of those. We have bike share. We have scooter share. But we also have a ton of money that is being thrown into the transportation sector like I've never seen before. People think they're going to make not just billions, but now they're talking trillions in transportation. And a lot of it is going to autonomous vehicles. So I thought this was a, a good time to try to separate um, the truth from the hype and also present some views of the future because, uh, as Yogi Berra said, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. And uh, the future in front of us could be a good one. It could be a bad one. It could be an ugly one. So that was the purpose of the book, to try to lay out some futures and how we might get this right and how we might very well get it wrong. Yeah, I mean, the book is fascinating for sure, and I invite you listening to get onto uh, Amazon. Uh, we will have a link, of course, uh, on the website as well as uh, throughout uh, Facebook. Uh, no one at the wheel, driverless cars in the road of future. Uh, Sam, you, you talk a lot about, as many of us, uh, Susie, you'll agree, we, we do a lot of industry events, training, and things like that. And, you know, there's circles that say, well, autonomous, they could be here within three years, you know, and then there's some that say, as you do sort of account for in the book, that we're really talking about mid-century, is that a fair assessment, uh, for autonomous vehicles on the consumer side, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, you know, when, when you say autonomous vehicles for most, and probably most of your listeners, uh, they conjure up this image of a, of a car without a driver that could take them anywhere that they want to go. Uh, we're quite a few years away from that, but we're pretty close to providing, in very controlled circumstances, getting from A to B and maybe C and D. So there are already small autonomous uh, public transportation-type vehicles. Uh, there's one that's working in Brooklyn. There's another one in Michigan. There are a number on the West Coast. They all have a driver, though, uh, because things still haven't been ironed out completely. But I would say sometime in the 2020s, there will be some services that are fully autonomous, but it, in very limited in scope. The day that you could take, uh, you could do with an autonomous vehicle, what you do with a conventional car today is decades away. Uh, and that means taking it in every kind of environment, going from Boston to California, uh, figuring out the pedestrians of New York City, uh, figuring out what's going on on the streets of Los Angeles and people cutting in and out. Where We're not quite ready for that. We're not ready. We haven't figured out what a bicycle rider will do. And now we've got scooters that are out there. So the holy grail really is uh, people. Autonomous vehicles work great without people, but start putting people into the street system, and you've got some serious problems to overcome. Yeah, we're still quite a ways from that. I know that uh, here in Arizona, uh, the city of Chandler, which uh, we're, we're sort of based out of, our garage there, um, has codified their streets, uh, you know, our city council and so on. And I think there, as you mentioned, there are uh, several programs uh, within municipalities across the country. When you say that this could become a reality, are you talking about sort of short, regular, cyclical distances so that this autonomous platform would just take you from one point to another and not really deviate in the in the beginning as it comes? In, in the beginning, you know, you may get some deviation. So there are some systems that they're working on today that might have some multiple stops more like imagine a, a small bus, but it's a bus that's a smart bus 
that knows where the customers are and knows where they want to go and therefore will follow a route that might be different each time it goes out, but generally within a geo-fenced area, an area that is, is well-defined for the technology, for the system itself. Um, Ford was, was trying to do something like that with Chariot. Ultimately, you know, unfortunately, Chariot went out of business, but there is a company called Via that, that runs kind of microtransit, not yet autonomous, but that's what I see some of the first uses of it will be in microtransit as opposed to just getting into your own car. Many cars today, and you were talking about Tesla before, have autonomous features yeah. to them. But there is no car that you can rely on completely. Go to sleep, unfortunately. Some people do go to sleep. Some people are watching videos. I advise strongly against that. There have been some some real tragic uh, crashes as a result of people thinking they could rely on the autonomous features of their vehicles. Yeah, that's what we Not get into yet. trouble. We get into trouble, Sam, with that technology. Uh, we talk about this quite often on the show, where all these features, uh, in fact, let's talk about them, uh, ADAS, the uh, Advanced Driving Awareness Systems. For those that are tuning in, could you explain some of those systems? Um, let's talk a little on the technical side. How does an autonomous vehicle make those decisions? Yeah, the, the autonomous vehicle is trying to replicate uh, what goes on in your your mind, what you see, what you hear, all of those types of things. So there are different technologies that are used. The most uh, one, Tesla and others, are using computer vision. Uh, and uh, that's been pretty good in many circumstances, but also in certain uh, others where visibility is low or there's been some discovery that uh, they read differently based on skin tone. Darker people are not oh, wow. being read as well. Wow. Uh, you know, so computer vision is one LIDAR, which sends out a beam instead of a, 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 a Doppler wave, a radar, radio radar, wave. Right, right, radar. right. You know, this is a laser beam that is hitting an object, trying to figure out what that object is doing. It is moving away. Is it moving closer? Uh, what is that object? And then radar. Those are the three most common computer vision, LIDAR, and radar. And collecting that information, and then it's a, a computer that is then trying to figure out it, what is that that I see in front of me, and do I have to take action? And often makes the correct decision there is another car in front of me, I need to slow down. There is a pedestrian that's walking, I need to stop. But sometimes it misreads things. It might see a tree, that a branch that's waving and think that that's something in front and suddenly stop. Or it may ignore uh, something, and I know in Arizona that the crash uh, with the, the Volvo in Tempe, Arizona, in which not only was there a pedestrian, but that pedestrian had a bicycle, so there were two things there, and the vehicle did detect it, but there was some logic there that said, hmm, ignore this. Yeah. And there has to be a lot of cases that it ignores, otherwise these vehicles would start, stop, start, stop. So it makes a judgment, and not only not always the right judgment, and that's part of the learning that's going on right now with these vehicles. Yeah, and we're still far away from that. I remember that case in Tempe. Many of you listening remember that. Uh, it was a dark street, and the vehicle uh, 
somehow, some way, just couldn't make, as you said, Sam, that logical uh, decision. And it actually gave uh, sort of autonomous uh, a, a black eye. And I think we're still in the black eye phase. Uh, you know, folks like Elon Musk, who are cutting edge, who are really trying to uh, push the boundaries uh, with the way these vehicles operate. Uh, Susie, you had a question. Yeah, for I Sam. can't remember where I heard it. I think it was on NPR, and I think it was an engineer in China. So the autonomous vehicle was stopping at every stop sign, and then she thought, "Well, what if I put maybe some duct tape above the sign and below the sign, and test it?" And it blew right through the stop sign. Yes, duct tape, uh, Sam. We talked about that. I was up in Detroit uh, amongst some engineers, uh, GM, and a few others. Bosch was in house, and they said they could walk the lot and cover up. With duct tape, uh, it was at M City. In fact, M City, they said, "Holy cow, we got a problem. We've got to figure this out." Talk to us about that. I mean, that uh, duct tape could be a problem covering up some of those sensors. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. You know, a uh, I don't know if you're referring to the duct tape. Uh, some of the sensors on it, or were you talking about the signs themselves? Well, is both the, the signs. I mean, the fact is, how we interrupt. The signal, whether that's LIDAR or radar, this is still a problem. And in the case with duct tape, they were able to sort of manipulate. They threw it off. They threw it off, and that car went through those stop signs uh, and didn't sort of receive that information. Do you see see some of these simple things that we still have to iron out with communication and how we receive those signals? Yeah, absolutely. And and there there are a number of people that have done exactly that here in the United States and showed how a stop sign could be misread even as a speed limit sign or since there's a lot of machine reading and we're relying on the infrastructure that's out there, the signs, the signals, the pavement markings, the roadway surface, those can be misread. Sometimes they're misread by drivers, but they can more easily be misread. And if somebody wants to tamper with a sign, now when you look at a sign and somebody spray painted over it, Often you could figure out what that sign was trying to tell you, and you're either yielding or you're stopping or... Because of the shape and the color. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those things aren't quite there with with uh, the machine technology uh, that we have. It's getting better all the time. But if somebody wants to play with the infrastructure, they can... Uh, change the course of, of these vehicles. If somebody wants to hack into these vehicles. Yeah, let's talk they- about that. Well, Sam, I, I don't mean to cut you off, but there is a lot more interesting uh, facts on this topic and, and, and the things that we're working on. If you're just joining us, we've got Sam Schwartz, Gridlock Sam, America's most celebrated transportation excerpt expert. Boy, I thought I saw you in New York City as the traffic commissioner, and I had a few tickets on my first little uh, <laughs> ride in New York. Uh, Actually, we took the subway. Uh, Sam, we'll talk about the subway here in a minute. That's right. (laughs) You guys, uh, stay tuned. We've got uh, Sam Schwartz on uh, author of uh, a very provocative but very uh, factual and real about what that future looks like. The author of No One at the Wheel, Driverless Cars and the Road to the Future. You guys stay tuned. Ranch Nation next. Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores. Nationwide locations. You know, one of the problems that I can have working in my garage is parts aren't delivered on time. The quality isn't there. Well, guess what? Who's yelling at me? My clients. And they're likely not to come back. Well, the Parts Authority Auto Parts Superstores. Amazing service. Knowledgeable 
Full Counter folks, a complete line of original equipment, parts that our customers deserve. If you are an installer, get on to partsauthority.com. Check locations nationally near you, partsauthority.com. Welcome back, Wrench Nation. Now, Frank and Susie hanging out with you. I invite you to get on to WrenchNation.tv. Uh, we have a weekly newsletter. It's free. Put your email in. We are only going to send you the weekly newsletter. There's nothing for sale. Uh, that's WrenchNation.tv. We have Sam Schwartz. Uh, has nearly 40 years of experience in the field of transportation engineering and traffic safety and is considered a worldwide authority in traffic, highway, bridge, transit, and parking systems. Uh, is the author of a book that you can find on Amazon. Now, I will tell you, this book is very fascinating. I believe if you pick it up, you probably won't be able to put it down because it does go deeply in to the factual side of what this looks like. And Sam, you did a wonderful job with No One at the Wheel, Driverless Cars, and The Road of the Future. Welcome back, Sam Schwartz. Thank you very much, Frank. Yes, and, and again, I remind folks, get on Amazon, you can find the book. It's a fascinating uh, read. It's not a pamphlet. It's not a manual. It's actually uh, a really great account, uh, chapter after chapter, of what the future will look like. And speaking of future, many of us uh, look at this sort of uh, beginning process. We have connected vehicles now. We're working on that. Uh, of course, all these uh, driver awareness systems like LIDAR and RADAR, the big thing that I think consumers are worried about, other than they just don't have control, I think psychologically that's a big deal and we'll get to that, but the ability to actually hack in to whether it's a full autonomous or sort of semi-autonomous, how real of a threat is the sort of cyber attack of hacking one of these vehicles? Yeah, essentially an autonomous vehicle is a computer on wheels. And we know there hasn't been a computer invented yet that can't be hacked. And one of the big efforts going on right now is hacking into these vehicles, deliberately hacking into it, legally hacking into them, uh, because of the great fear that someone can use a vehicle as a weapon. Uh, we've seen an incredible rise in vehicles themselves uh, used as weapons crashing into crowds, whether it was in Barcelona or it was in Nice or in New York City. We had been on a bike path killing eight people two years ago. Yeah, that was tragic. Um, tragic, yeah. yeah the, the, and they're not using any bombs or anything like that. It's the vehicle that's being used as a weapon. I think I documented that in the last few years, about 350 people have been killed in those kinds of crashes. Now, each one of those was was a one-off, a one-vehicle crash. Now, imagine someone from 6,000 miles away or further has control of 10 vehicles in a city and launches 10 vehicles to do bad things. Those are the kinds of fears that, that keep a lot of people up that are working in this industry. How do you keep the hackers uh, away? I, I suggested at one point that... Each city uh, needs to have some kind of 
control center, just about every city does have one that can indicate when a vehicle is behaving in a way of not obeying the rules and regulations. It's it's exceeding the speed limit. Talking about it, uh, autonomous vehicles, it's going into areas that it's not supposed to go into and have some kind of rapid detection system and hopefully a rapid response system. But the fear, and I've heard this from, from others that I've, I interviewed for the book, is creating a central computer that becomes, you know, the God computer, and that's what the bad guys go after. Uh, so... This needs to be developed much further before we can launch, you know, many millions of vehicles out on our roads, independent of any driver. Yeah, that makes sense. And along with that, um, the infrastructure regarding the network, talk to us about how important it would be to continue development and implementation of 5G so that we have the bandwidth to be able to communicate Tell us about the 5G network and how important that would be to that autonomous platform. Yeah, we're going to need a very wide uh, bandwidth because not only is so much information coming in uh, already, but there's going to be information that's coming in not just from other vehicles. There'll be plenty of vehicles that are communicating with each other, but also in a very, very smart system, the infrastructure will be talking to you. And the infrastructure can even send out commands, and that would be part of the protection against uh, some terrorists on this. But you will be able to, the traffic signal will be talking to your car, and the car could tell the traffic signal um, what speed it's going at, and the, the signal can come back and say, slow down to 28 miles an hour, and you won't even have to stop. And your vehicle can, can do all of that. Um, the, the infrastructure could be talking to you or another vehicle saying, uh, there's a car stopped right around the turn. I encountered that uh, just last week I was driving and there was a curve in the road. And I don't know why this car was stopped, but it was a close one on that. And this is the type of thing where my car or the car that was stopped could have told my car and my car could tell the car behind it that uh, there is a stopped car ahead. So the amount, imagine the amount of discussion, kinds of uh, information that will be sent, and you're going to need a much greater bandwidth than we have available now. China is in the arena of the electric vehicle. In fact, uh, we had Steve Celine on, uh, and uh, Steve is making some headway with the S1 full-on electric vehicle, not quite the autonomous, but... Where does China stand right now uh, with the whole industry and future of autonomous vehicles? Are they leading the world regarding this uh, arena of autonomous? They're certainly right up there. And a big difference, I believe, in China is that they will continue to advance rapidly whether or not uh, there are crashes, whether or not people are getting killed. So in the United States... The moment an autonomous vehicle is in a fatal crash, it's headline news, and everybody knows about that poor woman in Tempe, Arizona, sure, or that fellow in, in the Tesla in in Florida, or a couple of others that have recently occurred. Each of these sets back the movement and the government from from giving a just a clear path to test any anywhere you want. In the United States, and I think it's appropriate, 
we treat something like this as just as the way we may treat a new medication. You've got to test it first. You have to make sure it works, not just in some circumstances, but in all circumstances. And if there is a casualty, we have to learn from it. I believe China will barrel right through a lot of those things. And so they will continue to advance even under circumstances that we might be hesitant. Sure. We may have to step back. And I think we're connected more to the emotional, which we should be. I mean, the, the gal in Tempe, that was a tragic situation where in all sensitivity and respect to our Chinese uh, friends, uh, you don't have the sensation of the news. So they may just, as you said, keep going. Listen, you mentioned early on about the new profit center based upon autonomous vehicle. You mentioned the trillion dollar number. Talk to us about the business and economy that autonomous vehicles because some of us are thinking well i'm going to be out of a job you know like our trucking industry our trucking uh, brothers and sisters that you know if you've got an autonomous truck on a pre-planned route that uh, is under control there probably wouldn't be a need for a trucker so tell us about the economy of an that's, autonomous that's vehicle. Absolutely. yeah yeah the economy is is going to be shaken to its core as the economy was when the automobile first came along and as the assembly line came along and frankly as computers came along and did away with secretaries and everybody does does their own typing now. I can think um, of the poor elevator man. I miss the <laughs> elevator man in New York City. We used to take those big old subway elevators. Uh, what comes to mind is up there by Dykeman, uh, yeah. you know, up, up uptown there. You had those big I mean, they were you could fit a hundred people, and here's the elevator man, you know, cranking that brass wheel, and yeah, so I yeah, wonder, I, I wonder what it looks like in in the economy. I guess uh, talk to us about the data. Will there be will vehicles have the ability on this data front because data privacy is a hot topic now? Who will actually own the data? It's a great question, and that goes back to who's going to own the car and who's going to own the technology. So there are a couple of scenarios that are out there. One that the industry keeps talking about is the fleet model. And uh, imagine uh, Ubers, except the Uber doesn't have a driver. So um, in this case, whether it's Uber or another company, they would own the vehicle. So it would no longer be this independent operator that's driving the Uber around. And that fleet, and you mentioned earlier how a car is only used, you know, less less than 10% of the time, and the average car is 5% of the time. It's a real opportunity to suddenly put many seemingly more vehicles out there with fewer vehicles because the vehicles are getting used 24 hours a day, and it also lends itself to, you mentioned electric vehicles, to um, using the power system, the power grid at night. And you mentioned employment. You won't need uh, service stations everywhere because in, under the fleet model, uh, you will, it will be serviced at wherever the fleet uh, stations are. Great. Thank that. you, Sam. You just <laughs> declared it. Mechanics. I, oh, my God. You see, I, my garage has maybe got 20 years left. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Susie. And, and, and that's why, <laughs> yeah, I've been advising, you know, people, people who are in the transportation profession 
And about one in seven jobs are somewhat related in the United States to transportation or directly related to transportation. It could be that trucker. How does that trucker now transition into something that if he or she remains in the trucking industry would be relevant? Well, learning the technology, learning instead of sending out, uh, you know, one truck, maybe that person learns how to uh, watch for a half dozen trucks. I still believe you're going to need technicians to be watching over the fleets that are going out there. Uh, so the same thing with transit workers. I've been urging transit workers to stop thinking of how they would have a role. And I think one of the good scenarios that I lay out is in probably 90% of the United States, public transportation really stinks. It's awful transportation. There's a lumbering bus coming every 30 minutes or an hour. It's an old belching bus, and it's largely serving poor people and offering poor service. Well, that could be changed with autonomous vehicles. Suddenly, you can offer three or four uh, microbuses or minibuses during an hour and therefore improve the service and have instead of uh, the one driver who was driving that route, that one driver could be controlling four vehicles and making sure that those vehicles are, are doing their job. I still think there will be a role just as we thought so many jobs would be lost with elevator operator, and they were, and that was that's a great example you yeah. gave, Frank. Yeah, we use that in the garage, yeah. But there's yeah. still going to room, for, there's still room for human error as a controller, too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, they're, they're watching if something goes wrong. If the elevator gets stuck, somebody is watching. The same would apply over here. So there may be one maintainer for or 50 elevators or however, whatever the ratio is. Uh, but there are so many more elevators now than there were years ago. Mm-hmm. Sure. So the loss in jobs may not be as pronounced. The same thing, um, you know, with once the word processor came and uh, suddenly you needed fewer typists, more people were able to go and, into the additional work that was generated by everybody being able to to type and do their own work sitting at their own console. I'm hoping we see something like that. Jobs will be lost in the immediate future. Um, I'd worry if if I were planning to be an Uber driver long-term. I think the model there is once autonomous vehicles can do the job, uh, no reason for the driver. But we're we're, uh, years away from that. But in transit, we're probably a lot closer to that in microtransit. Right. If you're just joining us, uh, we've got the talented uh, Mr. Sam Schwartz, who is a visiting scholar at the Rudin Center for Transportation Policy and Management at New York University and a member of the New York Transportation Journal Editorial Board. For 25 years, he has also been a professor at Long Island University and Cooper Union. And uh, he's currently got a book out. I, I, I invite you, take a moment, get on Amazon. Uh, if you're catching this show on the replay, No One at the Wheel, Driverless Cars and the Road of the Future. It's very compelling. Uh, Sam, do you kind of equate this to how we transitioned? We, we just mentioned briefly how we went, to, we went from horse and carriage, and all of a sudden, I mean, we had motorized, uh, you know, Germ- the Germans, the Mercedes, Daimler. Actually, it was Daimler back then. Uh, and then here comes Mr. Ford uh, perfecting the assembly line, and it seemed like a 20- to 25-year transition. We were done. Horse and carriage done. 
Do you see that similar transition? Will we, in 25 to 30 years, see a similar transition? Yeah, yeah, Frank, and you, you bring up a really good point, and that is uh, this is akin to 1900 to 1930, uh, when we had almost no automobiles, and then we had a 30-year period in which it was mixed. We had horses, we had streetcars, we had pedestrians. It also turned out to be the, the deadliest uh, period on America's roads. Um, monuments were being erected in city after city to the hundreds of children that were being killed in city after city. So there's a lot to be learned by doing it the wrong way, and we did it the wrong way from 1900 to 1930, and I can go into a long treatise on that. So here we are, 2020, and it's going to be 2020 to 2050 or beyond in which we're going to have a mix of vehicles out there. Right now, uh, the vehicles driving in autonomous mode are getting into crashes at a much higher rate than conventional cars. And when I study some of those crash crashes, I find it's other cars crashing into them because they're not expecting uh, the kind of behavior that you see from an autonomous vehicle. For example, being incredibly careful, careful trying to get onto a freeway and the driver behind thinks that that person ahead already got on, but that autonomous vehicle is waiting for a sufficient gap, whereas uh, a typical driver might just push themselves within two cars that are a little more closely spaced than an autonomous vehicle would. So the driver, the, dri the car that has a driver, is now crashing into the rear of the autonomous vehicle. That seems very hesitant. And the speed differential, which is statistically the biggest predictor of crashes, is much greater between an autonomous vehicle and conventional vehicles than the conventional vehicles among themselves. So it, it is going to be a very awkward period on our roads with perhaps far more crashes than we've seen until things settle down. Yeah, it may have been a different time uh, in the uh, uh, early 1900s if there were ways of dispensing news like there were today i mean we know way too much today it seems that back uh, back in the early 1900s we had a newspaper we had and and that was that imagine if we actually knew as a public as a society what we know today by way of how we receive the volume of information and i think that works to our benefit i think you'll agree sam that you know as a society we want to be in the know and of course uh, the downside is uh, potential for fake news, like the stuff that doesn't really exist. But we are in an information age. And do you feel that uh, this information that we receive is a positive benefit to the development of the infrastructure and the future of autonomous vehicle? It is. But you know, I have to be critical of the industry itself. It doesn't share data. So the way I get crash data right now is there's only one state that requires the reporting of it, and the industry is trying to stop that, and that's California. Yeah. I've spoken at loads of industry events, and I show a chart, and I say what I'm about to show you is very unfair because I have very limited data. Will somebody help me find the data? No one. Yet, and I've been doing this for three years, going to the industry has ever stepped forward and said, yeah, we'll share the data with you. And there are no requirements in 49 states to report when a, on, when a vehicle in autonomous mode gets into a crash. So 
So having information is really important, but we've got to get that information so that it can be communicated and communicated accurately so people don't just harp on the the only crashes that make it to the front page, which are the fatalities. You know, I think once we're... Once we're 100% autonomous, I think it's really going to change human behavior. Well, psychologically, yeah, it really I, I don't is. think I, I don't think it's like we mentioned this, uh, and I do want to get back to this uh, flow of data. But I do want to mention you're right. It's like as a pedestrian, Sam, and and you've studied this. You've implemented programs. You changed the way cities design the traffic flow as a, a former uh, traffic commissioner of one of the biggest cities in the world. As a pedestrian, I'm walking through, and I see, all right, I'm green, I can walk, here are the cars, now I do an eye-to-eye contact, there's sort of this psychological, okay, you got me and I got you, I'm sure that that behavior, as uh, Susie's mentioning, is being studied closely as well. Yeah, it is, in fact, uh, they're trying to replicate eyes on, on the fronts of vehicles, so that it looks like the vehicle is making eye contact with you. You bring up a really good point in that there are, there are so many subtle signals that we use as pedestrians or drivers to each other. We wave people on or we, we indicate who can go first. I mean, we're checking each other. That's, yeah. I mean, it's like we're checking each other, whether it's a, yeah. a nice check or whether we just lost our mind and there's a road rage check. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, sort of the emotion and, and, you know, man and woman behind this machine. And here you are. And, and, and you mentioned that early on that, like, that's kind of the big deal right now, Susie, where Autonomous is trying to figure that out. Yeah. Like, and it's taking very extra cautious measures, as it should. Right? If, I mean, you, yeah, but yeah. if I'm running late to work, oh, yeah, it's a my game autonomous changer. car is not going to rush me to work. I'm going to get safely to work. Well, you better do some homework or something <laughs> in the back seat. I mean, um, Mr. Sam Schwartz, if you're just joining us, we have a few minutes remaining. We always say we don't have enough time. I invite you listening. Uh, please get on to Amazon. Uh, check out a very fascinating read. No one at the wheel. Driverless cars on the road of, of the future. Um, you know, Sam, you've got an abundant amount of experience. I want to mention something that we are experiencing in the industry as automotive technicians who are slowly segueing into the network, a network uh, as in a hundred million lines of code within the newer F-150 and sort of translating, we as you do not receive at times the data that's needed to properly fix the vehicles. This is a hot topic and at Best, we have a best practices uh, to get through that. So we only have a few minutes. How do you see data flowing from the OEs? Not so much an autonomous, but the data that you need, the data that a mechanic needs to properly fix a vehicle. Where do you see that in two years? Yeah, it's got to get a lot better. And, you know, for an autonomous vehicle to work, there's so much technology that is put into that vehicle. And uh, there are so many subtle little um, interruptions. Um, I, I've got a Volvo that all of a sudden the blind spot monitoring didn't work for a half hour, and then it started to work again. And I went to the technician who pretty much shrugged and said, "Those things happen." And uh, <laughs> those you know, things that, happen. That's not good enough. That's not good I, enough. I, no. I was changing. I was changing lanes, and boy, did I hear it from an angry New Yorker on his horn uh, because I was relying on the blind spot monitoring. Uh, the te- the communications have to be so much better. While I'm not familiar w- with with all the communications now, 
the vehicle uh, is no longer just a vehicle. It's largely a computer. It's rolling data. It's rolling data. Uh, Sam, yeah. we are going to please, I'd, I'd like to follow up with you maybe in the next six months um, and, and sort of see where we're at. I think it's a fascinating topic and I'd like to cover more of, well, hey, in six months, there'll probably be a whole lot more advancements and, uh, I invite you guys to check out Sam Schwartz's book, No One at the Wheel, Driverless Cars and the Road of the Future. Mr. Sam Schwartz, Gridlock Sam. Tell us real <laughs> quick, Gridlock Sam, how did you get the name? We got 10 seconds. Gridlock. I, I coined it during the transit strike of 1980, and it's stuck with me ever since. Nice. Yeah, don't mess with Gridlock Sam. <laughs> well, we appreciate all your efforts. I know you're burning midnight oil for the advancement and future uh, of really just measuring and collecting data in a fair, practical, truthful manner. And we certainly appreciate all your work and hanging out with our show, Ranch Nation. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Frank and Susie. Yeah, we are definitely going to follow up with Mr. Sam Schwartz. And again, get on uh, Amazon. It's a great read. You can download the ebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, oh boy, this is cut short. I'd like to see you guys on wrenchnation.tv. Put in your email, join our tribe newsletter. We have some fascinating guests all the way for the next several months, people. It's going to be an exciting October. We welcome you guys to join us every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Podcast, you guys rock. KFNX, you rock. 90.7, you rock. If you own a radio station, what are you waiting for? Grab a wrench nation. As I tell you every week, be safe, hug each other, and never forget to hug a mechanic. Now, what's on wrenchnation.tv? There's a billion websites out there. Well, there's a ton of nice shows I think you guys will enjoy. We know how it is. I mean, you got three to five seconds to listen to anything. You all got ADD. <laughs> Susie? Yes, Frank. Am I lying? You're not lying. People don't have attention anymore. So I'm just going to tell you right up front. We know this. We understand. Some of you are already gone because you just... Oh, got to get over there. Next. You capture our attention, though. Well, WrenchNation.TV. I mean, you can catch... Leave it to Beaver's Tony Dow. We had a 50-year reunion with the Corvair. Yeah. 50 years that car came back in his life. Yes. Now, here's... Uh, I get excited about this community situation. Open change. Vehicle donations making a difference. There's a organization that has uh, donated uh, north of 6,000 cars on the East Coast. And last week, Noor Daoud... Palestinian drift racer from Ramallah. Do you know what it's like growing up in Ramallah, Palestine? I don't even know where that's at. It's in a very volatile area of the world. Like people are trying to just eat for it. I mean, it's tough. And she is out there breaking the barriers. But that's all on WrenchNation.tv. And with that, I will invite you because we're all family up in here. 